Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. I love that song. I was going to dance, but I thought that would wreck it. <clears throat> Probably scare some of you worse than you need this morning. Hey, I, I don't know whether to say good morning or season's greetings. Pastor Gord was talking about seeing the biggest snowflakes that he's ever seen yesterday. And, um, you know, he's a guy that knows big. So <laughs> I was a little concerned. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, man, it's, it's, I'm just going to tell you, just by word of information, um, September now ranks in a dead heat with January as my least favorite months of the year. Like, I don't know, man. It feels more like Christmas than it does September. And um, here's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't think it's just me that's confused. Have you seen, like, the, the animals are running around and, and flying around, and, and I, I don't know if they know what to do. Like, I think that some of them are thinking, should we be flying south or, or, or are we looking for an ark? <laughs> so, yeah, anyways, it's crazy, crazy weather. But I'm glad you're here, excited you're here. We're uh, kicking off the fall with a series that we call Shots Fired. And um, it's this awesome series. Like, I'm, I'm excited about it because we're looking at these provocative statements from Jesus. Some might think even that they're inflammatory statements. To some people's thinking... They would hear these things and think, well, this is just completely inflammatory. Like, who, who would say this type of thing? And so they're provocative and they're, and they're thought-provoking, and, and I love them. And it's actually a series, just full disclosure, it's a series that we got from a church in Calgary called Experience Church. And, and they did this series, and we uh, came across it, and we thought, this is awesome. We should do this with our family here at FBC. And so that's what we're going to do, and we want to say thank you to Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Quincy down there for hooking us up with some graphics and some things like that. So uh, uh, we're going to run with it, though, and we just uh, are excited about where it's going to go. I appreciate this series because in so many ways, these statements from Christ, the ones that we're going to look at through the course of this series, just cut straight to the chase. They put all the cards on the table, and and some of them you're going to find are going to just sort of lay it out and quickly define where things are at. They just size it all up and sum it all up and just hand it off to you. Just like that, here it is. Others of, them, of the statements are, are, are just sort of there and they give you the full deal on, on what this is going to cost, what following Jesus costs. And I appreciate the fact that we can get to the bottom line without a bunch of, of fine print. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I think our world is a world of fine print. You know, every time we turn around, we find that people aren't giving us the straight goods. Advertising companies aren't telling us the real deal. It's a little bit of bait and switch. It's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. And everything seems couched and caveated. 
You know, like, um, think about it with me for a minute. Like, you uh, see an advertisement. Hey, brand new iPhone 10 Max. $49 a month on a two-year lease. And so you go barreling in, $49 a month, this is sweet. Only to find out that, well, if you want data, it's another 15 bucks. And if you're interested in more than six texts a week, you know, you want to go with the unlimited text plan, well, that's another 15 bucks. So $49 is just where we get started, not really where we end. And speaking of an unlimited... How about that unlimited high-speed internet plan that you guys signed up for? Is it a little bit like mine, where it's unlimited up to 75 gigs? And then, for the rest of the month, whenever you happen to hit that mark, well, after that, it's two down and one up. Right? Try watching Netflix on that. <laughs> you know, and don't, don't get me started. Don't get me started on overnight delivery or same-day service. Because they don't exist. Everybody likes to talk about it, but I have yet to see it happen. Right? And when it isn't the way that it's advertised, doesn't that just drive you crazy? You know, when it doesn't turn out to be what it's presented to be, how many times have you heard, when was the last time that you said, why can't they just give it to me straight? Why can't they just tell me the deal? Enough games already. Right? Well, in these statements of Jesus that we're looking at, he gives it to us straight. He lets us know the deal. And I think that these statements kind of come like shots across the bow of our life. Where all of a sudden, we have to stop, sit up and take notice, and then consider what he has to say. Jesus shoots them out there. He wants to get our attention. He wants to Give us the deal. And then he waits for our response. This morning, we're going to tackle a doozy. So before we do, let's just stop and pray and ask him to be with us, with us as we do. Pray with me. Father, this morning again, we stop and we say thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life here on earth. And for these words that he served up for us. And God, this morning I recognize that they are provocative. That for some of us we'll even find them inflammatory. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us. That you would help us to process them today. That we wouldn't dismiss them out of hand before we consider them. That we would take some time and hear from you. Consider what you have to say. And that we would also hear the heart behind 
these words. And I ask this for Jesus' sake, and in his name I pray. Amen. All right. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pull it out, grab it. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. If you don't have your Bible, if you've got it on your phone, that's cool too. Flip it open and it's all good. Fire it up. Grab it there. If you would like to use the Pew Bible in front of you, that's there. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you kind of divide it in half and if you turn to the second half and you kind of go a few pages in, sort of a third almost of the way in or a little bit more even, you'll find the Gospel of John there. And we're going to turn to chapter 14 and we're going to read verses 1 to 6. And if you don't like any of those other options, we're going to throw it up on the screen for you because that's just the kind of people we are. Helpful. Want to be accommodating. <laughs> so we'll throw it on the screen and we can, you can follow along there. So Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Okay, now this is Jesus speaking. This is Christ himself talking. And this is coming at a time when things are starting, starting to get a little bit dicey. God's, or Jesus has been, has been alluding to the fact that, that he's going to be going to the cross, that something's coming up, he's going to die. And the disciples that he's talking to here are getting a little nervous. They're starting to, like, what's up with this? And they're starting to be uncomfortable. They're feeling apprehensive about what's about to go down. So Jesus is speaking into their worlds. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be worried. Don't be upset. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare, to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now here comes. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Turn to your neighbor and say, shot fired. In actuality, it's four shots fired. And if you're here today and you're new to church, you haven't been around church, maybe you've come back to it after a long while, maybe you're just starting to think about this Jesus, maybe you've never encountered him before, somebody invited you to come, I am glad that you're here. Because what we're talking about today isn't just a shot fired. It's not just one shot among many. I would venture to say this morning that this is the shot of all the shots that Jesus fired. And this morning, I would also submit to you that Christianity rests on what Christ says here. On these four statements. If it's true, then we had best pay attention. If it's false, then frankly, what we're doing here is wasting our time. 
It's that significant. It's that important. If what Jesus says here is for real, then that means that all other options are wrong. If what he is saying is accurate, then Jesus becomes the most significant person in history, past or going forward. If this is the deal, then it is a game changer for us. Now, it'll come as no surprise, being as that we're sitting here in church, that at FBC, we believe what Jesus said to be true. So full disclosure, straight up. And I mention that not to say that we are biased, but rather to say that we are convinced. And there's a world of difference. We're not coming to these statements from Christ and saying that we admit to a biased decision or conclusion about what he said here. We're not somehow that we've been affected and indoctrinated and therefore that we subscribe to this. But rather that we are convinced, which is to say that we've examined the evidence, that we've considered who Jesus is, the rest of what he said, the evidence that he's offered us in all kinds of different respects, and we've decided that we're convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And so as such, then this morning we approach these statements from Jesus and we think that they are the most significant statements, the most important statements that you could ever consider and that you will be called to make a decision on. And so I'm excited that you're here. And this morning, we're going to talk about these statements. We're not going to have time to go into all the evidence, but I would invite you to just keep coming. If this is new to you, that's awesome. Keep coming because we keep unpacking the evidence from week to week that validate and verify the veracity of what Jesus says here. So stick around. I think this is a safe place to come. You don't have to have all the answers now. You don't have to have signed on the dotted line. Come on out and listen and learn, and then we trust that you'll be able to make that decision for yourself. So this morning, let's dive in. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus begins by saying that he is the way to God. A bold statement. Now, honestly, that wasn't that revolutionary then, and it definitely isn't that revolutionary now. In that there are a number of different religions and options that are presented to us as the way to God. Looking at other religions, each one points to a different way to heaven or to get to know God. For example, this morning, Buddhism believes that heaven or nirvana is when one is rejoined in spirit with God and that reaching nirvana requires following the eightfold path. Scientology says that salvation is achieved on one hand 
through growing in knowledge of the self and of the universe, and on the other hand, by ridding yourself of fear and irrationality. Islam teaches that salvation comes to those who obey Allah sufficiently that their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. There's some options that you can pursue to help stack the deck in your favor. For example, if you recite extra prayers, if you engage in fasting, if you go on pilgrimages, and if you do good deeds, you can stack the odds in your favor. However, the only way that you can guarantee that you will find your way to God in heaven, to paradise, is by martyrdom in the service of Allah. And the list goes on. Religions are a dime a dozen. So that Jesus comes along and presents another option isn't all that startling. But what is startling about Jesus' claim is that he says that it is not a system that we have to follow to get to God. He says that it is not a formula that we have to master to find our way to heaven. And he says that it is not a path that we have to find or discover in order to get to heaven and find ourselves with God. Rather, Jesus comes along and says, the way to God is a person, namely me, Jesus Christ. Now that was revolutionary. That stood out in the scheme of things over the, the, the spectrum of the religious options of the land then and definitely now. That Jesus would come along and say, hey, it's not something that you have to do. As a matter of fact, he came along and said, there is nothing that you can do. That you are not sufficient to do it on your own. But rather, that I am here to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And therefore, I am going to go to the cross where I will die. Rise again from the dead, and in so doing, overcome death and thereby provide a way for you to get to God, for you to find heaven. Shot, fired. None before and none since have come along and said, it doesn't rest on you Finding a way to heaven and God rests on me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. But Christ didn't stop there. Jesus didn't stop there. Next, Jesus says that he is the truth. Now, earlier I was saying that we live in this world of fine print. And it really isn't surprising why, is it? Because I think, in short order, we find that we have this love-hate relationship with truth. Right? As much as we say we want to know the truth, that we'd like to just have the facts, when we get them, oh, so oftentimes, we're not pleased about that at all. We're not happy with that one iota. Right? We chafe under that. We want the truth. 
Tell me what the deal is. And then we hear what the truth is, and then we want to argue. (laughs) Wait a second. No, 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 no. This is what I think of that. And I think if we're honest, if we think about it for a minute, if we look around, I think that we would have to admit that we spend a lot of our time and energy trying to avoid or escape the truth in our lives. Trying to find a way, an angle, to get around it, to beat it, to be different, to be the exception. The prevailing thought of the postmodern era was that there is no such thing as objective truth. And we flocked to it. We rushed to it. Over the last almost 50 years, we've been bombarded with the idea that truth is relative and subjective. That what may be true for you isn't necessarily true for me. Now, I don't know about you, but man, that had a whole lot of promise. In my mind, I was almost kind of rooting for it. Because I had visions of wandering into the bank and saying to my banker, hey dude, about my mortgage, here are the rocks. And I thought, that's awesome. But it turns out it didn't work so well. Because he wanted actual cash. And I'm saying, but dude, your truth about cash, it's not for me, man. My truth is rocks. And it didn't work. Nuts. Funny how that is, right? We, we like the idea. We love the concept. When we try to apply it in certain avenues, all of a sudden, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't hold water. But we kept chasing it anyway. We kept going, following it as a society. That somehow, truth is different depending on our circumstances and our situations. And it hasn't panned out so well. I don't think it's any wonder. Because in saying that there is no absolute objective truth, that's a statement of objective truth. And therefore, if it were to be true, it would mean that the concept is false. It undermines the very concept itself. And yet despite, despite the incongruity, we continued to adopt it and espouse it as a society. Perhaps only until about a decade ago, when finally maybe we started to understand that Houston, we might have a postmodern problem. And then we started to see the signs of a shift to a new philosophic paradigm. In 2016, Oxford announced post-truth as its word of the year. And post-truth gained that distinction on the basis of an increase of 2,000 percentage, in, uh, an increase of 2,000 percent in its usage. In the mind of the post-truth thinker, 
objective truth actually does exist. It's there. It's real. However, it's valued below their preferences or opinions. So, for the post-truth person, if the truth supports my preferences, my opinions, then we're good, we're golden, we're flying. However, if the truth doesn't support my opinions and preferences, then it is ruled inadmissible or intolerant. It becomes dismissed or rendered moot. Now, this is playing out in a number of ways across all kinds of the different aspects of our society, from science through to politics, up into and including scenarios where I, as a male, can now identify, if I so choose and prefer, as a female, despite any facts to the contrary. So I, as a guy, can determine, self, by myself, that I identify as a woman. And if you don't agree, if you don't dis dismiss the facts to the contrary, then you're intolerant. You're dismissed as being bigoted, unenlightened, and difficult. I don't know about you, but... I'm not optimistic that this is going to work out any better than the last philosophy. And as much today as we look at this and we think of it as maybe some sort of a new approach, the truth is that this has been around since the Garden of Eden. When Satan came along and played to Adam and Eve's pride, to our pride as man, as people, and got them to subvert the truth to their preferences. Where he said, you'll be as God. And that rang nicely in their ears. And they dismissed the truth and followed that preference. And ever since, we've been in this struggle with truth. We've been in this chafing scenario where we want to argue the truth, especially when it doesn't suit us. So into this world then, into that backdrop, against that backdrop comes Jesus Christ. And he says... I am the truth, makes this audacious claim. Stating that, number one, there is objective truth, that it does exist. There is an intrinsic system of right and wrong that's inherent to our lives, that has bearing on us, that we can know true and false, that we can find it and discover it. And then what's more, that he himself 
personifies all truth. And that apart from him lies only lies and falsity. Shot, fired. And yet, he is still not done. Then Jesus says that he is the life. And here again, we find an incredibly bold statement. Jesus says, I am the life. The Jewish people were in search at that time of someone that was going to come and deliver them out from under the hand of the the Roman oppressors. They were looking for someone that was going to lead them back into independences of people where they could be their own people, govern their own selves and set their own path. And they thought that this Jesus guy might be the one that was going to do that. But Jesus goes way beyond that with this statement. Jesus sets the bar way, way, way higher than just coming to deliver them politically or socially. Jesus says, I am the life. And in so doing, he sets out that he is here to solve their spiritual problem, the most fundamental of all problems that they have. The problem that leads to death. Not just political oppression. Not just societal unrest. But the problem that leads to death. Romans 5.12 said, Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now there's a problem, Houston. When we look around and we're busy worrying about our politics, and we're busy worrying about our social issues. Not to say that those aren't important, but boy, in comparison to the fact that we are dying, that we are dead as people, those are inconsequential issues. We need to address the problem of our spiritual state. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the life. Apart from me is only lies and falsity. If you are looking for life today, then I'm where you find it. And not just in this life now, but for eternity. So that all who would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For the sake of time this morning, I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Ryan's going to unpack that a little bit more in a couple weeks. Jesus says, I am the life, shot, fired. And finally this morning, Jesus takes us and shoots one more shot across the bow of our world. Here he says, no man comes to the Father except through me. Just to be sure that we don't misunderstand. Just to be sure that we didn't miss the point in the first three statements, the first three shots he fired. He comes along and says, no man comes to the Father except through me. Which is to say that he is not just our way. That he is not just our truth. That he is not just an option for life. Jesus says he is 
the only way. In other words, not all dogs go to heaven. Not all dogs go to heaven. And once again, we chafe under that statement, don't we? It offends our sensibilities. Nowadays, we want to believe that all, re- all roads lead to God. That in the end, we're all good. We all make it. We'll be fine. And Jesus comes along and says, no, kids, no, that's just not the way. It's not the truth. It's not the life. That way leads to death. Only through me do you get to heaven. We don't like it when somebody tells us that we're wrong, that we're out of line, that we're insufficient, that we have a problem, and especially one that we can't fix. We want to be the man ourselves. We want to be the captain of our own ship and our own destiny. So oftentimes we hear these claims from Jesus and we want to dismiss them as absurd statements from some sort of an egotistical, megalomaniac, or at the very least a nutcase. And here's the thing. They would be if they weren't legit. But if they are true, then they are simply facts. And if they are the facts, then telling us so is the most benevolent thing that Jesus could do. They're not the words of some megalomaniac. They're not the words of some egotist. They're the words of God condescended to our level, stepping down into our world, lowering himself to our level and saying, hey kids, you need to know this. You need to know the truth. I'm here to introduce you to the way. I'm here to bring you life because without me, it's not going to end well for you. Those are not egotistical words. Those are the words of a God that loves us, that loves you and me, and came to set us free. And so Jesus lays them out for us. And then he stands back and waits for our response. This morning, the question becomes, how are you going to respond? What do you have to say to Jesus? What are you going to decide? If you're here, and you haven't come to that place where you can make that decision, I appreciate that. Keep coming. Come and talk to us as staff. 
We'd be happy to answer any more questions, do whatever we can to help you find the evidence that you need to make that choice. Stick around here. We unpack it all the time. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. We'll do everything that we can to help you. For those of us that have made that decision, that have come to the point where we're signed on, we've signed up, we've enlisted. Yeah, I subscribe. I believe that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. One just quick question for you. What are you doing with the rest of what he said? Have you enlisted? Have you signed up? Subscribed? And then just left it at that? Or are you diving in and learning more about what he had to say and the direction that he points us to in life, in purpose? We'll talk more about that too in the weeks ahead. For now though, let's pray. Father, today again, God, as we consider your words, I just pray again for your protection over people today, that they wouldn't dismiss out of hand. That despite the fact that we chafe under that pressure of the truth, that we resist the challenges that that brings us, the uncomfortableness that we feel recognizing our place and our problem. I pray that we would endeavor, that you would strive with us through your spirit, that you would open our eyes, that you would remove the scales, that you would help us to discover you to be true and then to respond appropriately and accordingly. And so to that end, God, be with those that are in that position today as they consider this. For those of us that know you already, God, please help us not to just leave it at that not just signed on, as significant as that is and as important as that is, that's not where we stop. It's where we begin, God. Lead us forward into the life that you've planned for us, that you would make us fulfilled and effective for ourselves and also for a world around us that's watching and waiting. And I ask this again in your son's name for his sake. Amen.